Chapter 18 of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18 A Flash of Light. The carrier, with a decisive gesture, ceased from both solid and liquid food and settled his face and whole body, the members into a grim and yet flexible aspect, as if he were driving a half broken horse and must be prepared for any sort of start. And yet, with all this, he reconciled a duly receptive deference and a pleasant readiness as if he were his own Dobbin, just fresh from the stable. I need not tell you, Master Cripps, said Russell, how I have picked up the many little things which have been coming to my knowledge lately, and I will not be too positive about any of them, because I made such a mistake in the beginning of this inquiry. All my suspicions at first were set on a man who was purely innocent, a legal gentleman of fair repute, to whom I have now made all honorable amends. In the most candid manner he has forgiven me, and desires no better than to act in the best faith with us. Asking your pardon for interrupting, did the gentleman happen to have a sharp name? Yes, Cripps, he did, but no more of that. I was over-sharp myself, no doubt. He is thoroughly blameless, and more than that, his behavior has been most generous, most unwearying, most... I can never do justice to him. Well, your worship, no, perhaps not. I would take a rare sharpen to do so. You hold by the vulgar prejudice. Well, I should be the last to blame you. That, however, has nothing to do with what I want to ask you. But first I must tell you my reason, Cripps. You know I have no faith whatever in that man John Smith. At first I thought him a tool of Mr. Never mind who, since I was so wrong. I am now convinced that John Smith is art and part in the whole affair himself. He has thrown dust in our eyes throughout. He has stopped us from taking the proper track. Do you remember what discredit he threw on your sister's story? He didn't believe a word of him. Had a good mind I had to a knocked them down. To be sure, Cripps, I wonder that you forbore, though violent measures must not be encouraged, and I myself thought that your sister might have made some mistakes through her scare in the dark. Poor thing, her hair can have wanted no bandoline ever since, I should fancy. What a brave girl not to shriek or faint. Well, her dead go was somewhat queer, sir, and lie down in a quarry pit. Perhaps was the wisest thing the poor young wench could do. No doubt it was, the very wisest. However, before she lost her wits, she noticed, as I understand her to say, or rather she was particularly struck with the harsh, cackling voice of the taller man, who had a pointed hat, she thinks. It was not exactly a cackling voice, nor a clacking voice, nor a guttural voice, but something compounded of all three. Your sister, of course, could not quite so describe it, but she imitated it, which was better. Her wrath had great advantages. She can imitate almost anything. Her waited for months on a college chap, the very same in whose house we be sitting now. Cripps, that is strange. But to come back again, your sister, who is a very nice girl indeed, and a good member of a good family. Ah, your worship, that her be. Wish it could come across the man that would dare say to the contrary. 
Now, Cripps, we never shall get on while you are so horribly warlike. Are you ready to listen to me or not? Every blessed word, your worship, every blessed word goeth down. Unto such time as you begin to spake of things at home to me, such dangerous topics I will avoid. And now for the man with his villainous voice. You know, or at any rate, now you know, that I never was satisfied with that wretched affair that was called an inquest. Inquest and non-inquirendo. But I beg your pardon, my good Cripps, enough that the whole was pompous child's play, guided by crafty hands beneath, as happens with most inquests. I only doubted the more, friend Cripps, I only doubted the more from having a wrong way taken to extinguish doubts. To be sure, your worship, a lie in the back of another lie makes and go heavier. Well, never mind, only this I did. For a few days, perhaps, I was overcome, and the illness of my dear old friend, the squire, and the trouble of managing so that he should not hear anything to kill him, and my own slowness at the back of it all, for I never, as you know, am hasty. These things, one and another, kept me from going on horseback anywhere. To be sure, your worship, to be sure, you ought to be always a horseback. I've a-seed you many times on the bench, but you looks a very poor stick there compared to what he be a horseback. Now, Cripps, where is your reverence? You call me your worship, and in the same breath contemn my judicial functions. I must commit you for a week's hard labor at getting in and out of your own cart, if you will not allow me to speak, Cripps. At last I have frightened you, have I? Then let me secure the result in silence. Well, after the weather began to change from the tremendous frost and snow, and the poor squire fell into the quiet state that he has been in ever since, I found that nothing would do for me, my health not being quite as usual. Oh, your worship was wonderfully kind. They told me you was as good as any old woman in a room almost, except to take long rides, Cripps. Nothing at all would do for me. And not to speak of myself too much, I believe that saved me from falling into a weak and spoony and godless state. I assure you there were times... However, never mind that. I am all right now, and thank the Lord you ought to say, sir, but you great squires upon the bench. Thank the Lord I do say, Cripps. I thank him every day for it. But if I may edge in a word in your unusually eloquent state, I will tell you just what happened to me. I never believed and never will that poor Miss Oglander is dead. The coroner and the jury believed that they had her remains before them, although for the squire's sake they forbore to identify her in the verdict. Your sister, no doubt, believed the same, and so did almost every one. I could not go. I could not go. No doubt I was a fool, but I could not face the chance of what I might see. And after, after what I heard of it, well, I began to ride about, saying nothing, of course, to anyone, and the more I rode, the more my spirit and faith and good things came back to me. And I think I have been rewarded, Cripps. At last I have been rewarded. It is not very much, but still it is like a flash of light to me. I have found out the man with the horrible voice. 
Lord, have mercy upon me. Your worship, the man has laid hold of the pickaxe. I have found him, Cripps, I do believe, but rather by pure luck than skill. There be no such thing as luck, your worship, if you'll excuse me. The Lord in heaven is the master of us. Upon my word, it looks almost like it, though I never took that view of things. However, this was the way of it. Today is Saturday. Well, it was last Wednesday night. I was coming home from a long and wet and muddy ride to Maidenhead. That little town always pleases me, and I like the landlord and the holster, and I am sure that my horse is fed. Your worship must never think such a thing without you see it mixed, and feel it, and watch him a-munchin' until he hath done. More than that, I have always fancied, ever since that story was about the bag of potatoes you brought, without knowing any more of it, ever since I heard of that, it has seemed to me that more inquiries ought to be made at Maidenhead. I need not say why, but I know that the squire's opinion had been the same, as long as, I mean, while his health permitted. On Wednesday, I went to the foreman of the nursery whence the potatoes came. It was raining hard, and he was in a shed, with a green baize apron on, seeing to some potting work. I got him away from the other men, and found him a very sharp fellow indeed. He remembered all about those potatoes, especially as Squire Oglander had ridden from Oxford in the snowy weather to ask many questions about them. But the squire could not put the questions I did. The poor old gentleman could not bear, of course, to expose his trouble. But I threw away all little scruples, as truly I should have done long ago, and I told the good foreman every word, so far as we know it yet, at least. He was shocked beyond expression. People take things in such different ways, not at the poor squire's loss and anguish, but that anybody should have dared to meddle with his own pet oak leaves, and, above all, his new pet seal. I sealed them myself, he said, sealed them myself, sir, with the new coat of arms that we paid for that month, because of the tricks of the trade, sir. Has anybody dared to imitate? No, Mr. Foreman, I said. They simply cut away your seal altogether and tied it again without any seal. Oh, then, he replied, that quite alters the case. If they had only meddled with our new arms while the money was hot that we paid for them, what a case we might have had. But to knock them off, no action lies. Cripps, it took me a very long time to warm him up to the matter again after that great disappointment. He was burning for some great suit at law against some rival nursery, which always pays the upstart one. But I led him round, and by patient words and simple truth brought him back to reason. The packing of the bag he remembered well, and the pouring of a lot of buckwheat husks around and among the potato sets to keep them from bruising and to keep out frost, which seemed even then to be in the air. And he sent his best men to the Oxford coach, the first down coach from London which passed by their gate about ten o'clock, and would be in Oxford about two, with the weather and the roads as usual. In that case, the bag could scarcely have been at the black horse more than half an hour before you came and laid hold of it, and being put into the bar, as the squire's parcels always are, it was very unlikely to be tampered with. Lord o' oh mercy, your worship, it was witchcraft, then, the same as I said all along. 
It were witches' craft and nothing else. Stop, Cripps, don't you be in such a hurry, but wait till you hear what I have next to tell. But, oh, here comes my friend, Hardenow, as punctual as the clock strikes two. Well, old fellow, how are you getting on? End of chapter 18